Mark chapter 3, if you found that, won't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there in verse 1. Mark writes, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent, looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him and how to destroy him. Father, give us great resolve, strengthen our spines, strengthen our souls, that we might with humility and grace stand in a world that hates us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> three times this week, three times, just this week, three times this week I had a conversation with humble Christian men and women, some of you in this room, men and women that are living and working, really working in pressurized environments. Pressurized environments where your core Christian convictions are being pressed. We live in an environment where toleration is no longer enough. It's no longer enough to live and let live. More and more people of good faith and humble hearts You're being told not only to tolerate, you're being told that you must affirm ideologies that go against everything you hold dear about God, about his creation, about Christ, about the Bible. And about gender. How? How do you how do you live joyfully and uprightly and faithfully in such an environment? How do you, as a Christian woman or a Christian man, how do you hold on faithfully to your convictions and yet still live with genuine Christian love for people? How do, you, 
How do you accept people without affirming sin? How do you accept people without affirming sin or compromising on truth? How do you stand strong without being hard? How, how do you live with humility without becoming a, a doormat? I, I think those are the questions at least some of them, I think those are some of the questions of the day. And I think as we go to it, that this passage, this beautiful passage, addresses some of those questions. When you read it, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, there are three main characters that you come up on in this little passage. You have this nameless man. We don't know his name, where he came from. This nameless man with a crippled hand. You got those religious leaders, the second character, the religious leaders, the, the spiteful Pharisees. And at center stage, every passage is eventually about him. At center stage, we have the Lord Jesus, who is not only our Savior. This is what we believe as Christians. We believe that Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died on the cross in our place to take the wrath of God away from us. We receive his righteousness. God raised him from the dead. We celebrated last Sunday. We're doing it again this Sunday. He ascended into heaven and he lives now as Lord of the universe. And any person that believes that will be saved. That's the gospel. We believe that. But that's not all we believe. That Jesus is our Savior. He is also our example. And this morning I want you to look at it. I want you to look at his strength. I want you to look at his Grace, I want you to look at his example. I want you to gird up your heart and resolve to follow Christ at any cost. To live your one life for the glory of the Lord Jesus so that you and I can Make this the theme, that you and I can live, live for Jesus, rejoicing in the cost. I want you to live for Jesus, not bemoaning the cost. Live for Jesus, rejoicing in the cost. So if that's the theme, how do we do that? Let's find ways to support it. How do we live rejoicing in the cost? I'll give you several ways. Here's the first one. Number one, we need to live with consistency, to live your life as a Christian consistently. If you claim to be a Christian, then there ought to be evidence in your life that you actually are what you claim to be. Notice how the, notice how the story opens up for us in verse 1. <clears throat> Mark writes it like this, and again he entered the synagogue. What you have here is the very, um, the, the end of the stories about Jesus clashing with the Pharisees. This is the fifth clash Jesus had with the Pharisees, and their hatred for Jesus is growing by the day. They hate him. Which is so ironic, if you stop and think about it. The Pharisees and the scribes, they are the religious men of the day. They have been to school. They have read the Bible 
Jesus would be the answer to every prayer they've prayed, to every prophecy they studied, to the Bible they believed. It's ironic that they hate him so much. Once again, once again, the Bible says in verse 1, and again he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. Once again, it's the holy day, the day set aside for worship, and Jesus is there. It's the Sabbath day. Jesus is with God's people, the congregation. The other gospels tell us that on this day, Jesus went in and he's teaching the scriptures. He's gone to the gathering of God's people where the Bible is opened and read, and he worshiped there. Let's pause there. I think there is a lesson. I think there's a lesson when we look at Jesus' example. Consistently. Over and over again, we see him in the synagogue with God's people on the day of worship, consistently meeting with the people of God, opening up the scriptures. Jesus consistently living a righteous life, following the laws of God. So let's pause here and make some basic, <clears throat> basic applications good for, for us as we live in the world that we live in. One of the most basic and profound ways that you can live as a Christian in post-Christian America, that's what we're in, one of, the, one of the most basic and profound ways that you can live as a Christian is to actually behave, live like you claim to be. I'm asking you to be a culture warrior. Things like this. To actually believe the gospel. To believe the gospel. We just said it early on in the sermon. What is the gospel? That God is holy. We are sinners separated from God because of our sin. God in his good grace gave us Jesus Christ who lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. And the gospel says anybody that believes that, put your faith that Jesus died for you, you believe that, you'll be saved. So how do you live in this world? Believe the gospel. Apply it to your heart. After that faith, initial faith in Christ, you live your life loving God. What does it mean to love God? How does your life reflect the fact that you actually love God? What are the ways that you display a love for God, that you spend time with God, that you read his word, that you're with his people to actually love God? And then take that love that's, given to God and turn it outward to love people, to actually have an affection that comes from God that is given out to people, to, to be Christ-like. If we're going to be Christians, that was a name of derision that actually became our name, those that are like Christ, little Christs, to actually live your life in the context where God has put you like Christ, to, to gather with God's people when Sunday rolls around, when the day of worship is here. You know that I read it this week. <clears throat> statistics show, if it was last year or the year before, statistics show that 40% of the people, 40%, almost half of the people that call themselves evangelical Christians go to church once a year. Half of those that call themselves evangelical Christians 
you know what, evangelical doesn't mean anything anymore. You stop using that name. We just, well, I don't even know what you call yourself, Bible-believing Christians. How, how can we win the world? I, I think one of the most basic things you can do to be counterculture in this world that hates God and hates the Bible, hates Christ, is to actually just be consistent to live your life as a Christian and private, to live your life privately as a Christian, your time alone, when nobody sees you, when it's just you, you actually are living privately, you really are that person. To, to live as a Christian in your family. How hypocritical is it for us to stand and point at the immorality of the world we can't get just the basic family structure right? Just to live as a Christian at home with your you have a wife or a husband or children, that they see that? To, to live as a Christian in society, at a restaurant, gas station, wherever we are, we don't, we're not rude. Terrible it is that those that it's profess Christ the most would be the rudest. Or, or at church, at just the basic concept of gathering with God's people on the Lord's day to celebrate the grace God gave us in Christ in the resurrection that renews your soul, just basic Christianity. I wonder if you this morning would do some self-examination. Some of the, we all got blind spots, we all got them. Some, some of the personal inconsistencies and maybe this morning, resolve to live consistently. Let's go beyond that, verses 1 and 2. Let me give you another way that we can live. Number two, we need to live compassionately, compassionately. Let's set the scene for the standoff between Jesus and the Pharisees. You'll find it there in verses 1 and 2. Jesus and the Pharisees, and there is this nameless man caught in the middle with a crippled hand. Let me read it to you, verse 1 and 2. And again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. They, that's the Pharisees, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. It's the Sabbath day. The scene is there by the Sea of Galilee, probably in Capernaum, in that synagogue that he has visited often. That day he's gone to the synagogue and in the congregation there is a man with a withered hand. Luke tells us it's his right hand. His withered hand is a, is a sign of the fall. It is cursed creation that sin has not just affected our soul, that sin has affected all of creation. This poor man's hand shriveled up in some way like a claw. Verse 2 tells us that the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, verse 2 tells us that the Pharisees are spying. They are watching. They're looking for Jesus to slip up somewhere. It's funny, they, they are not questioning whether or not he has the power to heal. They know he has the power to heal. That's not the issue. Not if he can heal, but will. You see, it's the Sabbath day. And Sabbath law at that time said that you, 
You could treat life-threatening illnesses. You could do that. If somebody was in danger of dying, you could go and help them on the Sabbath. You could do that. What you couldn't do is treat non-life-threatening illnesses. And look, this man's at the synagogue. He's obviously learned to live with his problem. And the Pharisees are there watching Jesus. They are gathering evidence because they're mounting up a legal case against him. They are there to accuse him, verse 2 says. Critics, critics. Let me pause there, critics. Critics are always out. Critics are always on the lookout for what is wrong. Seldom do they find what is right. Be careful how critical you are. Here in verse 2, here is a man who is made in the image of God. This poor man can't raise his right hand and worship. He can't put his hand to the plow for work. And Jesus is going to have compassion on him. Jesus knows that his compassion will invite the scrutiny of the Pharisees. These people that already want to destroy him, they're looking for ways to get at that. In this mean, in this mean and hateful and twisted world, are you looking for ways to be Christ-like? Looking for ways to offer compassion? To, to do good for the glory of God, even though you'll be scrutinized, even though it invites, if you're Christ-like, it invites scrutiny. I've been convicted this week. I, I'm reading through Philippians, and uh, the group of guys that I read it with, we're trying to memorize the book of Philippians, and we've got chapter one, although my memory's so bad, I'm going to go back through that again, but we're in chapter two. Uh, John Stigmert's in this group. John's got a, a photographic memory. You can look at it once and have it. By the way, if you see John, ask him to recite some of this for you. But, but in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3 is where the trouble starts. Do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, it's that one line that stabbed me. Count others. You more important than me. This, this man with a withered hand more important than the Pharisees, the powerful Pharisees that are after, to, after Jesus. Look, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior died on the cross to save us. It's true. Jesus died on the cross to save us. That's how we're saved. But look, as our example, Jesus lives with consistency and, and compassion. Are you doing that? Are you doing, are you doing good for the glory of God even if it invites scrutiny? I want to live with consistency. I want to live with compassion. Let me give you a third thing to consider. 
Number three, you need to live with conviction. Live with conviction. Verses three and four and five. To get at the heart of what I mean by living with conviction, what I want to do, I want to look two directions with these three verses. Verse three, I want to look one direction. Verse four and five, I want to look another direction. Verse three, I want to look at the nameless man with the withered hand. And then in verses 4 and 5, I want to look at the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's fascinating in verses 4 and 5. Let's look at the man first, verse 3. Join me there, verse 3. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Now here's a man that has learned to be in the shadows. If you're an introvert, you know what it's like to be called out in front of people You don't have any desire to do that. You don't have any desire to have the spotlight on you. This man had no desire to have the spotlight on him. Literally, what it reads is, come and stand here. Jesus calls the man with the withered hand, come and stand right here in front of everybody. Here's this this humble beggar of a man with a crippled hand, called out in front of the powerful Pharisees to stand out there all by himself. Now, this man had heard of Jesus. Maybe he was there to meet Jesus. He knew the power of Jesus to heal. He knew the controversy surrounding Jesus. He knew that the powerful religious leaders hated Jesus. He also knew that Jesus had the power to heal And now this this man's faith in Jesus is being put to the test. He also knew, some of you are finding out, he also knew to put himself in the Jesus camp. That's going to put a target on your back. Later on when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, one of the problems that Lazarus had was that he was in the Jesus camp. They wanted to kill Lazarus. You stand over there in the Jesus camp, that's going to put a target. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to come over there? Are you willing to come over there in that camp? Maybe your hand isn't withered, but something inside your heart Jesus says to you, come on, come here. Stand out here where everybody can see you. Come here and be healed, but know if you come here, if you come here to be healed, know that that healing comes with a cost. That healing comes with a public There is a time, and I think that's where we are, there is a time when a personal faith in Jesus becomes a public stand in the world. A time to go over there where Jesus is. Read the book of Hebrews. We went through it a couple of months back. You read the book of Hebrews, and the the, the author of Hebrews says, let's go out to him. Let's go out to Jesus outside the camp 
where Jesus is and let's bear the reproach that he endured. What did, what did Dietrich Bonhoeffer say? When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Maybe he's calling you to come, to come and stand. Be careful how you uh, characterize standing Standing, to come and stand. Standing is not being angry. Standing is not getting a sign and picketing with terrible things written on it. Standing is not being rude. Standing is not picking a fight. It is not calling names. It's going to where Christ is and standing. Would you resolve this morning to do that? Is that where you are? Are you standing? Will you... Run to God's grace in Jesus to stand. That's verse 3. That's the cripple man there. Now let's go to these hardened Pharisees in verses 4 and 5. Watch Jesus intentionally. Watch him trap those Pharisees. And read it. We'll look at a few things. <clears throat> verse 4. And he said to them, this is Jesus. Jesus said to them, now get the scene, the crippled man is there standing in front of them, listening to the conversation. Here's the, here's the example, a living example in front of him. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? They're silent. Verse 5. Jesus looked around the room. Looked at them. Anger. And, and grief. Grieved. Grieved at their hardness of heart. He looks at them and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And he's healed. Let's talk about a few things. Verse 4. In verse 4, Jesus frames the question. Notice how he frames the question in verse 4 with polar opposites. He, he cuts through all of the ambiguities of the Pharisees, all of the minutiae, all, uh, all of what the Pharisees had done to make complicated. Jesus simplifies it. Here we are on the Sabbath day. Do you do good or do harm? That should have been easy for the religious leaders. Do good, obviously. Do you do good or do harm? Let me ask them a, a more pointed question. Do you save life or kill? You see what he's doing? You know what he's doing? He's exposing them. It's the Sabbath day. You want to keep the Sabbath now, here's my question. Should you kill on the Sabbath? Knowing, you see, knowing, Jesus, knowing that those Pharisees are going to leave the synagogue that day, verse 6 tells us they're going to get with some killers. The irony, they're going to get together and decide how to kill Jesus. This is what Christ always does. He always gets to the heart of the matter. He is exposing 
He is exposing their hypocrisy by getting at the heart of the matter. And verse 4 tells us that the Pharisees are silent. They don't have anything to say. They didn't want a fair-minded discussion about what is right to do and what is wrong to do on the Sabbath when it comes to the intentions of the heart. They just wanted to stomp him out. Get ready for that. If you stand with Jesus, get ready for that. Remember that he has sent us out in this world as sheep among wolves. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Now verse 5 tells us that Jesus is going to heal the man's hand. We, we know that. This is a healing story. But instead of putting our attention there, I want to call your attention in verse 5. I want to call your attention to what Mark tells us about Jesus' emotion as he looks at the Pharisees. Read verse 5 with me. <clears throat> he looked around at them. He looked around at them. Anger. With anger and grief at their hardness of heart. A couple of things there. The anger of Jesus is the only time Circle in your Bible. It's the only time you'll find in the entire New Testament where we are explicitly told that Jesus was angry. Righteous indignation. What is righteous indignation? Righteous indignation is what a good man feels in the presence of stark evil. Anger. Anger. What you have here is the, 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 the clean, pure fire of holy wrath. It's the only time we're ever told Jesus was explicitly angry. It's noteworthy that Jesus is never angry at the tax collectors. Jesus is never angry at the sinners. Jesus is angry at the hypocrites and the religious frauds. Angry at their hardness, their hardness of heart at human misery. Angry at their hardness of heart to God's mercy. Look, but don't leave it there. Mark tells us that Jesus is not only angry, he's grieved. He's grieved at their hardness of heart. He has anger that is checked by grief. Grief because the Pharisees spent their lives learning the Bible, learning good doctrine, having prestige in the religious world. Grieved because they willingly turn away from God and his good gift in Christ. And in so doing, those Pharisees, it grieves him, their hardness of heart makes it so those Pharisees will eternally perish. And they could have flourished. But this story is not over. Verse 6, uh, Mark gives us an editorial. So he's told the story, and then verse 6, he backs up to give you just some editorial comments on the story. And I'll use this to give us the fourth point, and that is to live your life with courage. Courage. Look what Mark tells us. As a result of Jesus healing the man on the Sabbath, verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. Only time you're going to see that. Pharisees went out, held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy. So very simply put, Pharisees are the religious Jews 
The Herodians are the followers of Herod. They thought that Herod the Great was a great leader. He was a savage. Uh, they followed Herod, Antipas from Galilee. They were secular. The Pharisees would have hated the Herodians. But this day, something happened. Those two former enemies got together. It's the whole, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's frenemies. They got together to destroy Jesus. Now, I'm putting this under the, the point to live with courage because increasingly you are a citizen of a land that hates the God of the Bible and his Christ and will be hostile to you. But like the man with the withered hand, Jesus calls us to come and stand and be healed. So there's healing and there's hope and there's joy where Jesus is. That's how we live for Jesus, rejoicing in the cost. We live consistently. We live with compassion. We live with conviction by God's grace. We live with courage. We stand where Jesus stands. This morning, will you? Will you come and stand with Jesus? As we close our time of preaching and go to a time of worship, let me invite you to Bow with me just for a moment. Let's pray before we go. Bow with me in prayer. And before I pray, I just want to invite any of you here that <clears throat> you've heard this message. And I want to talk to those of you that are not yet Christians. <clears throat> you've given your life to Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? It is turning from your sin, yourself, your religion, putting your faith in what Jesus has done. What did he do? died on the cross to take the wrath of God. God raised him from the dead. The Bible says if you will put your faith that Jesus did that for you, you will be saved. This morning as, as we sing, if you want to come and talk to a pastor about how to solidify that commitment and get a clear understanding, we would invite you to do so. Maybe this morning you've been made aware of some of your own personal shortcomings and you just want to put those down before God. You want to spend a moment or two praying as we sing. It's a great time to do that, to have a pastor pray with you as we sing. It's a great way to end our time of worship on a Sunday morning. Father, thank you for the good grace you give us in Jesus. Thank you for the saving power of the cross. Thank you for the example of our Savior. Help us, Lord, with humility to stand with Jesus. In Christ's name we pray.